Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Good evening, everyone. Um, so we're going to go through the Q&A and some really good questions that have come up. And let's see how it goes. So the first one is pretty powerful. It, it's, um, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where you know, we can know the Word and we can know what God's Word says. Um, but sometimes as new believers or believers going through trials, uh, it takes a little while to completely sink in, right? We know what the truth is. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on that. question is, it's one thing to have the knowledge of Jesus forgiving our sins and taking the weight of our guilt, and another to let that sink into our minds and have a true understanding of it. When dealing with guilt from the past, mistakes, what is a practical application that I can make to have a better understanding of walking in freedom is. So I think we're going to probably, as usual, hit this from three different angles, but Pastor Paul shared a scripture. I'm going to let him do that um, next. Uh, But, you know, it's... We have different different things that come into our, our minds, right? Sometimes from our own thoughts, sometimes from the enemy, sometimes from... Temptation, sometimes you know uh, trials, the world, etc. And we sometimes have to decipher all of those thoughts. And I'll be honest with you: um, sometimes something happens in my life, and you know I could be. It's always at nighttime. You know, I wake up at two in the morning or four in the morning, and I'm like, "Why am I thinking of this?" You know, what I'm saying, "I know what the Word says. I know what the Bible says." Right. So there's there's different applications to it. Um, and I just have to meditate on that. And I just have to trust God, go back to sleep, and the, it'll be there in the morning. And I'm sure God will help me sort it out. So whether the person is dealing with a, you know, forgiving themselves or you know, um, meditating on any part of the Word about being still and knowing that He is God, not to be anxious with our thoughts, um, it's... I just, I, you know, maybe I'm being a little sterile about it, but it's just like, all right, this is what the Word says. And if I'm truly a follower of Christ, I've got to believe what the Word says, and I've got to rest in that. So, you had a scripture that you brought up? Yeah. Uh, so, immediately when we were talking about this, I, I thought of this scripture in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So talking about a couple of different things here, one, how, how we are how we are saved, which is not by the law, through the law, but it's through grace. And also then how do, how are we sanctified, which is that daily, um, the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer. And that is also done according to the spirit. And in both of those instances, our guilt is taken away. And so 
And so it's different to have, um, to be convicted, right, when we do something that we know is not uh, Christ-like. And we really only understand that after we are saved and now we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We are, more, we are definitely more sensitive to that because the Holy Spirit is constantly working in us to, to point out, to convict, and to draw us back. Um, so we have that aspect of it. So we, ha- we have no condemnation, but we do have conviction. But along with the conviction should not come guilt. So guilt is something that we kind of put upon ourselves, or sometimes others can put it, put it on us and, and kind of keep us down because of that guilt. Um, but we're free in Christ, and there's no condemnation in Christ. And so even if our sin was B.C., before Christ, it's still covered under the blood of Jesus. Oh, and I just caught Pastor Vinny mid-slurp, but you good? I'm good. Okay. So in Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. My experience, a lot of times when people are beating themselves up with guilt, and I look at it, a lot of times it's just pride because Jesus has forgiven us. You know, he said on the cross, it is finished. So everything he did on the cross was for our sake. And when he removes our sins, he's done it completely. And for us to bring that sin back, um, as Pastor Paul said, you know, sometimes we beat ourselves up. But also the Holy Spirit convicts the world, flesh and the devil condemn. So when you're feeling condemned, understand it's not coming from God. It's coming from either the world, the flesh, or the devil. And you just have to flush that. You just got to throw that out and just hold on to God's promises because he's telling you life-changing things. Guilt can hold you down from achieving the things that God wants to do in your life. So don't let it. Um, let's see. I've said to people at times, what, I've said this a lot. I should just have it memorized. What are you not forgiving yourself for that God has already forgiven you? Right? So if God isn't holding you in bondage, why would you hold yourself in bondage? Um, like there is, and like they were saying, like my pastors were saying is that, you know, there's this sort of this fine line between being convicted of the Holy Spirit and changing, repenting, doing the right thing, and condemning ourselves, right? So um, I just, it's just a, it's a very good question, and uh, I think a lot of people struggle with it, you know, and um, definitely a lot of things to say about it. Okay, so here's another question that is in John three thirteen, and Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one that came from heaven, seems to contradict 2 Kings 2.11, that as they were walking along, so this would be Elijah and Elisha, and talking together, a chariot of fire appeared, taking Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. How is that not a contradiction? That's a great question. And it really kind of speaks to, you know, before Christ died for our sins, past, present, and future, is that 
where do, do the saints, good people, go uh, before Jesus paid that price for their sins? And it's interesting because in Luke, I believe it's 16, you see this exchange between Abraham, who had died many years ago, um, was alive, and with Lazarus, right, who was a current figure, and this particular rich man who lived a very selfish life and godless life. So the three of them are having sort of this discussion, but the, it appears that those who died in faith went to be in that part of the holding place right before Jesus, before Jesus, uh, Ephesians 4, descends to the lower parts of the earth and, you know, frees the captives. Um, so, what about Elijah? You know, when you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, they both have words for, and, you know, actually a lot of this is coming back from Sunday's message, uh, the words for heaven or expanse or atmosphere, right? Um, I, I've had a little fun with that, and you know, you, from the ground to, to the atmosphere to this imaginary line, which is actually, actually a real thing, it's called the Kármán line in science, is where the atmosphere just really dissipates and outer space takes place, right? The, so we talked about there's a first heaven, a second heaven, um, you know, as you further go into the universe and the galaxies, and the third heaven is is the only part of those those separations that's not a tangible place to us right now. That's where God dwells. And we read this in Revelation 4 and 5. So there's a few possibilities. One is that, um, you know, yeah. one is that just like with Philip in Acts chapter 8, after he's done preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, he's translated or removed and taken to another place. Uh, before, I guess, flight with airplanes, this is how God moved people around in some respects. Uh, it is possible that Elijah is removed and brought to another location, but he's, he's pulled into the heavens, but not into God's actual throne room because Christ didn't die for his sins yet. Just like Abraham was in that place before Christ died for his sins, he wasn't in that close fellowship with God yet, but it was a comfortable place. So... So in the New King James Version, heavens, the word heavens occurs 167 times. So as always, you have to take it in the context that it's being spoken of. You know, you had John was taken up into heaven. And like Pastor Joe just said, this was after Jesus died, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. You also have the situation with Elijah where we see him with Moses in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration. So if we were there when Elijah was taken up into the heavens, how we describe that, I mean, those are the heavens. And like Pastor Joe said, you still have the second and the third heaven. I feel, this is just my opinion, that after Elijah went where, and whether he died or whatever, he eventually ended up into Abraham's bosom. And then when Jesus died and descended and set the captives free, he was in paradise with like the thief in the cross. So I think the context is crucial. Yeah, so there are only a couple of um, scriptural 
references to something like what happened with Elijah and Enoch is another one where it says in Genesis 5 and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him so he never died God took him and again in the context of the uh, you know uh, the dispensation of the of that particular time he couldn't have gone into the heaven eternal as we know it because again Jesus was the first born from the dead, right? So, he, so Jesus had to rise first before anyone would enter that, uh, that place. So there was a holding place. And so we, I guess Enoch probably wound up there also in Abraham's bosom um, until, until Jesus rose. So, um, and again, the word for heaven in that particular verse in 1 Kings um, can be um, tr- translated or or defined as the st- uh, you know the place where the stars are or the planets are or even the atmosphere or or the abode of God. So in the context we of what was what they're talking about, we can discern what it really means. So it's kind of neat. Uh, context is everything. So when you read further into the story, Elijah and Elisha are together, and Elijah is taken up. And uh, it says that, that there were, uh, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, this is verse 15 in Second Kings 2, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, and they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, to Elisha, look, there's 50 strong men with your servants. There's 50 of us. <laughs> Let's go and search for your master. <laughs> Maybe God lifted them up and dropped them off somewhere. You know what I'm saying? So they were like, well, we saw him go up and we're not really sure where he went. So it's actually quite interesting that they, they go to look for him and they can't find him. And, in, and again, in Philip's case, he's removed, but he's put back to where he started. It was so important that God got the message that, of the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, there's a lot of connection. I, I covered this in Isaiah, a lot of scripture, how God really worked to get the gospel everywhere, into Europe, Africa, right? Um, the Far East. I mean, the gospel went everywhere before there were planes and the internet and all that kind of stuff. So it is, it is an interesting thing. People, like you, the, they were saying, look up. Oh, we see him. He's kind of going up. I don't see him anymore. Where did he go? Right? So it's kind of funny because the guys want to go send out a search party. Now, it's interesting, too, as we go further on, that after this event, right, Elisha's prominent as the prophet. But a little later on, it says that uh, Elijah writes this letter or this correspondent to King Jehoram. So did God want Elisha to take prominence and just remove Elijah to a remote location to do other things for him. But it does appear because Second Kings, uh, I taught this, Second Kings Chronicles, it appears to be chronological pretty well. So how does Elijah show up again, sort of, send this correspondence to King Jehoram about the things that he was doing? So there's a, there's a lot to this. It's fun. Um, and this is why, this is a totally different subject, but churches today that have this replacement theology and they, they discount the entire Old Testament, I don't get that because there's, there's such a foundation in the Old Testament 
we can't ignore this, right? We don't get we don't get Jesus unless we see, you know, all the history and the foundation that brought Jesus to us. Amen. So, um, so yeah. So I think uh, I think we pretty much hit a lot of from a lot of different angles, and um, you know, Jesus is right. Jesus, as the Son of God, came from that third heaven, right? Jesus didn't specify. Jesus didn't fall out of the sky in John thirteen. He didn't, you know, fall out of outer space and hanging out on a planet. He came from where he was, where his home is, as God the Son in that third heaven with God. So nobody else came from there, Jesus is saying, but him. And even, like I said, you can find all these so-called Messiah leaders today. They're false messiahs. None of them say that they're from heaven. And any of the few that do, there's something wrong with them. And they certainly can't prove that they were like Jesus did with the miraculous works. Okay. Um, a lot of neat stuff here. A lot of, of, again, variety in the different questions that are asked. It says, and, and I like these because I think, you know, either people are you know, people asking genuine questions. Sometimes a person is seeking or they're a new believer and they, they write something. And, you know, we, we sort of have to tweak it a little bit. It says, is the reward in heaven greater for a five-star Christian greater than for a one-star Christian? Um, define five-star Christian and one-star Christian. I mean, I don't, I don't look at myself as a five-star Christian because I have a title. You know, it's just one of the gifts that I have. Um, you know, when we look at the I mean, do, people do devote various sacrifice to to God in their lives. Well, we know that's true, uh, but God doesn't put us in a caste system like the world does, right? Um, whether even in our country, you know, people sort of have the elites and the Martha Vineyard crowd, and you know, not you because you don't belong there, or not me, I don't belong there either. They wouldn't let us in there, I'm sure. Um, but it's not the same when we get to heaven. God doesn't look at us and give us a hierarchy based on elitism. And that was a big problem that Jesus had with the religious system. So I'm going to let Pastor Paul and Pastor Vinny jump in on this, um, but I would just say if you, if you think you're a one-star Christian, um, don't look at yourself like that. Don't, don't do that. Don't look at us like we're five-star Christians because none, those things don't exist. We're all equal under the foot of the cross. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the the Bible does talk about crowns. It does talk about uh, the bema seat of Christ, <clears throat> which is a judgment seat for believers. So there's something that God looks at in in the life of a believer um, that will be somehow recognized. I think in etern- in eternity in some way. But you, but like Pastor Joe said, it's not to it's not like a caste system where, you know, if you get five crowns, you're living in a, you know, in a mansion, and if you get one crown, you're living in a in a shack. So it's not like that because there won't be any of that going on in in eternity in in heaven. But the Bible does speak of of crowns or rewards, and so how are we as Christians supposed to then make a, apply that? Well, I think. 
when you look at the crowns, and they're in, they're in different scriptures. First uh, Corinthians nine talks about a crown. First uh, Thessalonians two, uh, the crown of righteousness in Second Timothy four, the crown of life in James and in Revelation, and the crown of glory in First Peter. So that's five of them that are mentioned in the scriptures. So what do we do with those? Well. Just like anything else that's of God, it should be something that we that we aspire to. It should be something that you know that we desire to attain. You know, as we're pressing toward the goal, right, which is Christ likeness in everything that we do. Those crowns will be kind of they'll be. I don't know if you want to call them like uh, you know. We'll, I don't know how. To, I don't want to. Keep, classify it in any way there'll be things that we would want to achieve as we become more like christ and so it those are good things there's nothing wrong with them there's nothing wrong with having the desire to attain those crowns but not in a way that we would be you know we would want to take it on ourselves you know or get recognition for it but just to be more like christ and then what happens right in heaven we take the crowns and we talk. What we cast them at the feet of Jesus, because it's really all about Him. Amen. I actually was just going to go there. <laughs> I smiled. Wait, let me. I just before you ask your question, I just want to hand this to a ten-star Christian. But go ahead. What would you like? Uh, Among those born of women, he was, yeah, um, right. And John, he humbled himself to Jesus. So, good point. Ten star Christian. So, in Revelation 4, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So here's 24 elders that are sitting around the throne. Talk about a select group of people, you know, and here they're taking their crowns as pastor Paul said, and they're throwing anything they've ever achieved at the foot of Jesus. Cause they know that anything good they ever achieved was as a result of Jesus working in their lives. And then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, it says, Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So one of the greatest things you and I have is God's calling on our life to glorify Jesus wherever he puts us by our actions, by our, our speech, by the things we say, by the things we don't say. And I think Chuck Smith was always used to say that, you know, regardless he's out in front and he's talking or like a Billy Graham, all these people are coming. It's going to be those people you don't even know who are going to receive those real, real special crowns. They might have been the older women who were in the basement of 
Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, just praying for God's spirit to move on whoever was speaking in the pulpit. So that everybody has a part in uh, God's building his bride. And we should never take anybody's position lightly because they're called for God in those positions. It's like the body, you know, whether it's the toes or the hand or the eyes or the ears, whatever. We all play a different part, but we're one body. It's funny you should bring that up. I just had a cortisone shot in my toe, uh, my foot last week, TMI. And I tell you what. Did the shirts come in yet? Let me turn this on. I want to miss this. Did the shirts come in yet with the different stars on it for... Orange, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, actually, Chuck Smith, uh, when I would listen to, I believe it was the podcast, he would talk about um, a group of elderly women who would pray regularly. And he said, you know, like he said about him being out front, he did say that he attributed the success of Costa Mesa to a group of elderly women who were constantly warfaring in prayer for the church. So it's kind of interesting, the unseen heroes. Okay, next question is, if I was baptized as a child, should I be baptized again and be submersed in water? All right, so a few things when you look at the scripture. um, I was baptized as a child when I walked away from, I guess you could say, organized religion and came to faith in Christ and had a personal relationship with him. I actually went to an, a venue, and so did my wife, um, to get baptized again because I don't remember it as a child. It didn't mean anything to me. I was probably screaming while they were pouring water over my head. I don't remember. could have been traumatic, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to be baptized, right? I wanted to... Um, and it's done publicly. When you look at the book of Acts and you look at the scripture, it's always adults that are baptized, right? Not infants. Now, um, there are some kids in this church who are precocious, five, six years old, seven. They can articulate that they believe in Jesus and they trust them. I don't prevent them from getting baptized because they, 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 they figured it out and they want to be baptized. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold them back. Um, but the word in the Greek, baptizo, is uh, what they would call, we would call a transliterated word, where these are the few words when you go from one language to another that the form of the word doesn't change much. It retains most of its form. So baptizo to baptism means really to be immersed. It's full immersion. Um, and again, these are the things that I wanted to do as an adult. Nobody said I had to, nobody talked me into it. I just did it because I was an adult and it it meant more to me now choosing Christ as my savior in my mid-twenties. So, um, yep. So we see that Jesus was dedicated at the temple when he was little. And then later on we see Jesus baptized at the start of his ministry. And a lot of times here, people receive the Lord and then they want to get baptized. So when the Lord is living in your heart, He gives you now a ministry. We're all in ministry. You don't have to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. You're all in ministry for Jesus Christ. He calls you to do things that other people never have an opportunity to do or meet people that we'll never meet. So 
I uh, was brought up in uh, Roman Catholicism. And, of course, if you're from that background, you were baptized as an infant. So when I came to the Lord around 18 or 19 years old, one of the things I struggled with, should I get baptized? You know, as I went to Bible studies and read the scriptures, I saw that Jesus was baptized. So the way I solved it is, I think, one of the best ways. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And that's how I settled it in my heart. So should we be so if we were baptized as a child? So I uh, just in agreement with uh, with uh, Pastor Joe and Vinny um, as a child or as an infant usually is when you know we're, we're baptized if it was if it's a particular uh, denomination um, we have no remembrance and we had no conscious decision to do that and so <clears throat> and so since that's the case and we look at the scriptures that speak of you know i mean the only accounts we have are of adults of a sound mind who made a choice to be baptized and then we look at and then we look at uh, matthew 28 which where jesus says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit so we see now the the com- the command of of Jesus to be baptized or to for his disciples to baptize so we put all those things together and we would say well and the other side of it is Jesus did not have to be baptized he chose to be baptized and we identify with Jesus through that baptism so there's another reason why as an adult we may want to be baptized Again, if we were baptized as an infant, um, because we want to, we want to identify with Christ, you know, and in His death, His, res- his uh, burial, His resurrection, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Joe and Pastor Vinny, who usually do the baptisms here, will always say that this is identifying with Christ. Romans six tells us, you know, gives us that, uh, you know. Death, burial, and resurrection, rising up, coming out of the water. I mean, and most people feel rejuvenated and, you know, nothing special, spiritual happens. But it's just a sense that I'm identifying with my Savior. And so um, I would say, yeah, go for it. If you're able to um, and you haven't done it yet, I would say go, go for it, you know. I think he was translated to the second heaven. I'm not sure. <laughs> we don't know where he's going to get dropped down, but um, we're hopeful that it's a soft landing. Okay. Uh, what is that? And this is great. Again, a lot of diversity in questions. What does the Bible say about tattoos? Is it okay to get tattoos? Um, so I'm just going to go into some of the scripture here in the Old Testament, right? The Old Covenant in 19 there was a a, there was a major problem with the israelites being curious about what some of their pagan neighbors were doing and unfortunately their pagan neighbors a lot of things that they did that were cultural had demonic roots to it so if i could start 1926 it's in leviticus thank you you shall not eat anything with blood nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying so these things were they had demonic roots to these practices. It continues. This is in one paragraph here. 
You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So God's reminding them who he is. And, you know, people will, I think sometimes, um, sometimes in legalistic Christianity, you know, somebody comes into the church and they pick them apart. They're looking at their manner of dress, how they wear their hair, if they have any tattoos and stuff like that. Um, you know, I knew people that, so my, my brother-in-law, he's, he doesn't start conversations like I do. He's a pretty quiet guy, but if you talk to him, he will respond. It's just his nature. He has a tattoo of a Christian fish, a big one, on his forearm. And because he knows that that will stimulate people asking him questions, and then they kind of start the conversation, he finishes it. Um, you know, I know people who have had tattoos of really bad things and they come to Christ and they have the tattoos changed because, you know, now they're Christians, right? So they, and it's really neat what they can do. They could remove them, they can um, change them. You know, when somebody comes into the church and they have a lot of tattoos, you know what I know? I know that that tattoo tells a story about that person. So it's kind of funny because people are a little taken aback where I'll maybe shake their hand or whatever and maybe I'll hold their hand and say, oh wow, look at this, you know, and they'll start telling me about themselves, right? So a lot of people in our culture, th there's various reasons why people get tattoos. Um, and a lot of people in our culture do it, not like the pagans did back then, although I'm sure there's some people who, today there's, there's a whole movement of disfiguration, and um, it's because they're listening to the wrong voices. But when somebody comes in, I'm curious, genuinely, about tattoos. So like if people have a question, does this church accept people? You know, I don't want to wear a short sleeve shirt in the summer. I'm like, just wear the short sleeve shirt. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, different ideas about them and such. Um, you know, there's a movement where I knew a, a guy who's a friend of mine. He started getting tattoos. And then, he, I, don't, I don't want to say the guy's name. He started following this guy who was pretty famous. And he, he did self-mutilation. And people started to follow this movement. God doesn't want us to mutilate ourselves, but I, I don't. I don't see people who just go to a. a part, I'm kind of indifferent. I guess I'm trying to say I'm not for them. I'm not against them, um, but I've seen some some really neat things in tattoos that people use it to glorify God. You know, so. Want to jump in on that? So the the word tattoo is only in one verse in the scriptures and that's in Leviticus 19 is that what 28 so I think about that and I think about okay do we now have some type of prohibition uh, based on one verse that was contextually for the nation of Israel and remember this this was this was God was establishing his people and he was, um, and, and Moses was speaking to the people to show them what, that God wanted them to be separate 
from the pagan nations that surrounded them. Not get caught up in all of that, the, the demonic practices and, and all of that stuff, uh, sexual practices and all that the nations around them. To be separate, to be set apart. This was, this was the whole idea uh, to this establishing of God's, of God's people. And so there are a lot of things in, especially in Leviticus, um, that speak about, you know, different rules, regulations, prohibitions, things like that. So now we, now we have to think about, okay, does that apply today? Or does that apply to Christians? And so that's, a, that's a, definitely a good question. But I think what I always look for, too, is it, w- did Jesus speak about this in the New Testament? Did the Apostle Paul speak about this in the New Testament? Is there any indication that in the New Testament that this particular prohibition was in now in the New Covenant? Um, and I don't see any indication of that either. So, so yeah, I think if, if it's... Um, I, you know, my, Another person I know who's kind of a soft-spoken guy, like Pastor Joe said, he has a tattoo of a cross and um, Isaiah 53 on his arm, and it's pretty prominent, and and it's it's a conversation starter for some people too, you know, to get them into that conversation about the Lord. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't see anything uh, necessarily biblically wrong with it. There used to be a, a gentleman who came to this church um, before he was a Christian. He had a picture of uh, like a red devil on his arm, and then he became a Christian and he had the X put through the devil. So he had a little testimony right on his arm, and I think a lot of times I think that's what's cool with what J- Pastor Joe said. It's a great conversation started or like oh what does your tattoo mean you know and you know, never know where that's going to lead but as pastor paul said nowhere in the new testament does it mention and only the one time in leviticus so god always tells us and we see it in the life of david god doesn't look at the outward appearance of anyone he looks at the heart so as long as your soul is tattooed that's the main thing it's tattooed with jesus you know spiritually speaking um, the other thing is, so uh, the whole question about tattoos and Pastor Paul said, it's, you see it in one verse, is that people will take something that's so small in, like we talk about context, and they will take it and they will disproportionately use it to bang somebody over the head. Um, you know, we have uh, somebody who plays drums and he got a lot of tattoos while he was in the military. He goes, should I cover them up? I said, no. We have people that have tattoos that serve in all ministries here. Um, I, don't, I don't see American culture, for the most part, even by the time Roman culture had taken root, you know, the Roman soldiers would have tattoos. They, would, they, they were different. They weren't like the, the, uh, the pagans. Um, what do they call them? The, uh, the really bad ones. Who, who, no, it's, it's escaping me. No, no, I'm thinking about the, um, the, the Israel's neighbors. Canaanites and some of the other ones, yeah. So I don't, I don't see that in American culture, and um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've even met anybody who had tattoos that were like what it says in Leviticus that it was some, hey, you know, this connects me to the devil, you know, or Satan, um, you know. So again, in the in the new the new covenant, 
there's only a few things that were carried over from the old covenant and the prohibition of tattoos isn't even there. So I just think uh, sometimes, again, it's used as a bludgeoning stick for people who don't fit a certain mold of church people, and we don't, we don't follow that here. So I think we definitely hit that one. I think a cool thing, too, is Dave's son who died um, in his early 20s of uh, brain cancer. He had a favorite verse, and all his friends, about a dozen of them, got a tattoo of that verse. I think it was Philippians. I'm not sure which one. 13 and I don't know if any of them are born again believers but what's so cool is that that's always on their arm or wrist or whatever and it, it'll be cool to see because God's word doesn't return void so it's going to be see need to see how that all takes place with in their individual lives one day you know here's another subject <laughs> and it's it's cool because this is what's great about Q&A night because people say you know I've always had this question and you know, I, I came from a church where I felt like I was sort of second class. So here's another one, divorce and remarriage. Um, is it accepted by God? And again, this is when I meet people, hey, tell me about yourself. What do you do for a living? You know, you, simple things like that. You know, what are some of your hobbies? Like I don't ask them, how many times have you been married and divorced? You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, you read the Bible. The Bible will tell you what's good and what's not good and and even if something is a sin there are some the funny thing about marriage is if both parties i i said this to a brother who admittedly he wasn't doing what was right in his marriage and by the time he was trying to save it the wife said i i just don't want to be in this anymore he goes well you know i i'm changed and i'm going to show her that i'm a different person blah, blah blah i said those are all great things i said and keep praying I said, but in the state of New Jersey, if she wants out, she's getting out. You know what I'm saying? You can fight it all you want. You can get the best attorneys. If she wants to be, you know, it takes two to tango, right? Both parties have to be willing to do this. So um, there are stipulations for, I guess you could say, a scriptural a divorce, but they're limited. But even if somebody gets divorced and it's unscriptural, well, first of all, if they weren't saved, um, it's just like anything else that's covered under the blood of Christ. And if they were you know, again, God forgives those sins. But again, some in some churches, people are treated like pariahs because of their, their track record. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'm not going to say any names, but in a job that I had, there was a guy who was married and divorced four times, and he wasn't an, he wasn't an older man. And uh, the fifth time he was going to get married, he went to Las Vegas and got married by Elvis. So it goes to show you what he thinks of marriage. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes when you alienate that many partners, you just have to look in the mirror and say, maybe that person's the problem. Maybe it's not all the partners, you know? So um, how about just be single and let, let these ladies be and enjoy their lives without you causing problems? So, you know, there's, I just see the, there's, 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 there's sort of a, a, a range on this. Is the person that I just mentioned who just, he treats marriage as nothing. It's just a thing that you do. Doesn't think much of it. And on the other end of the spectrum, sort of like the tattoos, is the person who got divorced and feels years have passed and they, they're still beating themselves up when God probably forgave them for that, um, that divorce. You know what I'm saying? Um, so you, you've you got to kind of find the middle ground with, hey, we sin. We shouldn't be flippant and cavalier about our sin. And everyone has different sin. I've never been divorced, but I'm not perfect, right? Um, 
so, so you can kind of see uh, both sides on that. And I, so let me just say this, the continuum is on the one extreme is legalism and on the other extreme is libertinism. Eh, do whatever you want. God's just going to forgive you anyway. We shouldn't be living our life like that, but we also shouldn't be holding people in bondage because that's not our job to do. We were talking about this the other day and there's a, a, without saying his name, a famous Christian man who's been married four or five times. So how does that even happen if you said you're being led by the Spirit? And also the the person, in this case, the girls that he's marrying, because none of them died. He just kept going from one girl to another. Where is the girl's responsibility to saying, why would I marry this guy? He's already 0 for 4 or 0 for 3. So there's an onus, a responsibility on each person. If they're coming in as non-believers and they're married, that's one thing. If they are believers and it's a continual thing, they really need to examine their hearts and also the mate has to examine their heart and the heart of the person they're married. But God doesn't look on a person who has uh, gotten divorced um, any less than a person that is, you know, committing another sin. He loves everybody and he just wants you to be restored and move on with your life as you serve him. So in um, in Mark chapter 10, you know, the, we, we've been going through it even on Sundays. We see how the religious leaders always try to test Jesus, uh, try to get him caught in a, you know, in a question. So in Mark chapter 10, th this question was brought up to Jesus about divorce. <clears throat> the Pharisees came in and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? And he answered and said, what did Moses command you? And they said, they per and they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And Jesus answered. So they were trying to, well, they were misapplying actually what the, the law of Moses was. So Jesus clarifies and he says, and Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his mother, his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. So we see God's design for marriage, his uh, his uh, preference as the creator, the creator of man and woman, the creator of marriage. I mean, the one who instituted uh, marriage. So this was, this was, this would be in a perfect world, which there isn't. So because of the hardness of people's hearts and because, I mean, that basically can be a wide range of things, you know, two people just continue to you know, bang heads and, or they can't agree, or there's somebody who, go, who sins and has, uh, uh, commits adultery or, or desertion or, uh, you know, any number of things. It, I think the hardness of our heart covers all of those things, but because of that, so there's, you know, divorce is, is going to be inevitable. 
And so if that's the case, then is there remarriage after that? So the person, whether it was the uh, one who instituted the divorce or not, now they're no longer married. So what do they do? So they so they want to honor God. They they meet someone and they want to honor God together. They want to serve God together. We've had couples in in, in this church who, ha, who were both divorced, found each other, remarried, and were serving the Lord together. And so I think I think you just have to look at the context of what what God says, what His desire is for man it would be awesome if we just you know we found that person we married we stayed married you know for life but sin has marred that and so um so i would say yeah legalism would say no um but the other side is to just do anything you want so there's a middle of the road i think balance and Context is everything. I was thinking as you were talking, and and this is. You saw Moses, like Moses would pray, and and God would give him what the what God's law was, and he would share it with the people. This is law. So um, when Jesus says, "Because of the hardness of your heart," so this is what was happening was, and you can find this in Deuteronomy twenty four is that a man, they just did really rotten things. And they was, you know, some of them, and they were supposed to be believers. And, you know, he would just decide he didn't want to be with his wife anymore. And he would just, just kind of move on with somebody else. And people in the village would say, well, she's, she's still married, you know. So Moses in Deuteronomy 24 forced the man who, who, who did these practices to write a certificate of divorce and to put it in her hand so she could be free. Oh, aren't you married to... No, I'm not. I'm good. I'm clear. Um, because it was, you know, it was, some of it was patriarchal and, and uh, God was looking out for, for the woman and letting them be free by actually getting this writ of divorce in her hand to keep and nobody could say, well, she's still bound to him. And he's moved on and and has another family. So there was a a lot of interesting... So Jesus, you could see his his irritation. Um, I'm familiar with some of Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Hillel, which there's, you know, synagogues dedicated to him. Unfortunately, he was very... I think he caused a lot of pain with some of his writings because his interpretations... And this is a true statement. If the wife wasn't a good cook and didn't, you know... Burned her husband's meals, he could write her a certificate of divorce. It, that's not even funny. Like some people snicker when they hear that. If you think back then, my goodness, I mean, how 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 much anxiety did a, a young woman have getting married? And I, I got to do everything right because Hillel says that he could he could let me go. That's that's Rabbi Hillel is going to answer for a lot of things with some of his loose interpretations of scripture. So Jesus, I can almost see Jesus, you know, sometimes he was jovial and a lot of things. And you could see sometimes, you could probably see, you can imagine being there that Jesus sometimes had an irritation with some of these religious leaders that treated people poorly, whether it was the woman or, you know, the, the, the widow and the fatherless who they were ignoring. Jesus had had enough of the corrupt religious system. So 
that kind of gets into another discussion. Did you get a chance? Did you, you got this one? I got so into it that I forgot if Pastor Vinny read it or not. Okay, so um, we'll take a, a, a break and see if any, anybody has any questions about what we covered. I, I'm talking about a diverse line of questions. This one's a really neat one. So this is from someone who's, I believe, fairly new to our church. She put a really nice, um, I guess, online rating, beautiful online rating, beautiful things she says about the church. And this is the context that she's coming from, right? She says, what, do, what can we do to get more diversity in, in this church? Maybe an outreach event. This is a wonderful church of God. More people need to hear pastor's word. And it reminds me of something that, see the cool, <laughs> it reminds me of something Pastor Sam, you know, he's one of our pastors here and he's a, a, he's a black man. And he uh, maybe seven years ago took me aside right there by that window and he said, I just want to talk to you, Pastor Joe, like ser- service had just ended. And he looked around, church was filled, and he said, this blesses my heart. He goes, this church has so many people of color. This is his exact words in this church. He goes, years ago, Jamesburg was sort of, and this, is, this, this hits some nerves, right, was sort of segregated. You had your white section, your Spanish section, and your, you know, your black section. And I said, well... Pastor Sam, I said, that makes me feel good. I said, we just preach Jesus and everyone's welcome. I said, wherever you came from and those people thought that this was a white church, I said, go back there and tell them all they're all welcome. I'd love to see them all next Sunday. I said, this church is open to everyone. So he gave me a compliment, and from him that was a compliment. Um, But at the same time, you know, my thing is Jesus... You know, you, we, we don't, it's kind of cool thing is we don't advertise, we don't need the, the federal government to teach us to be diverse. We just are because that's what the word does. We have a lot of Spanish people, black, white, uh, Eastern European, there's people from everywhere in this, that come to this church. So, uh, so that's a blessing and I can just say it, that it, it, it happened naturally. Yeah, um... It's a great question, and it's a, a, a very nicely written, you know, uh, obviously, I don't think it was criti- uh, written in a critical way at all. I, I hope not. Um, so, so uh, diversity for diversity's sake is what kind of what the government tr- tries to make us do. You know, they try to make us diversify just so it looks, so, so the optics look look good um but diversity because you know everyone's welcome there's no feeling that you uh you know you don't belong uh that's a beautiful thing that's a that's an awesome thing on the other side are are some you know and this doesn't there's no criticism here either on the other side are some people who enjoy going to a church where they're kind of with kind of their own people that they're familiar with. They have the same cultural background or maybe even there's a language issue. So they, so they enjoy being in that environment going to church. And I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because it makes them feel comfortable. They can relate. Uh, It's in their same language. Maybe they speak of things that they're familiar with and that's a great thing. Um, So I don't think, I don't think like, 
forcing diversity um, is is good in either direction. But it just, like Pastor Joe said, it just happens here naturally, and we're blessed to see it. I mean, when we're when we're here, or even just being amongst the, you know, the congregation, it's neat to see. It really is. I love the movie Feel the Dreams. Where you build it, they'll come. It's a baseball movie, and uh, heard somebody say, "Well, if you preach a word, they'll come." So it's it's a supernatural thing for God to draw people by His Spirit to any church. Um, and I think of John twelve. Um, I think it is when Jesus is lifted up, I'll draw all men, all peoples. It says in one translation, all peoples to myself. And I think we see that here, and I think any healthy church, you see it. A few more quick points on that. Um, so I think most of you know, because he's been here several times, Pastor Ray Dash, he's a black pastor. He uh, pastors a church in Newark. We kind of did sort of, sort of this thing that we did, not knowing that the other person was doing it. It was different points in our lives. But so when we, um, when I was the pastor of this church, um, we lived in Monroe and we happened to run into uh, a church that was all black, right? And um, got, I got to know one of the pastors. He invited me there. We actually did, I uh, think we did a panel there. Mm-hmm. My pastors and I went there and with their pastors and we kind of sort of did a Q&A. It was neat. And um, uh, so my son, <laughs> he was like maybe nine or ten. He was real little at the time, and um, they took a liking to him. And it was cute because he, uh, it was during the week, and we would send him to this church, right? And we got to know the people. They got to know us. And he was the only white kid in the whole church. <laughs> but they loved having him. And when he was little, his hair was so blonde. He looked like Casper, like he was so white. But they couldn't wait for him to come to the church, and he couldn't wait to see them. And it was, I was like, this is cool. Because you see all this junk on the news and the media and you let these things happen and take place and people will, they will get along with each other that are different. Um, the other one, so Pastor Ray, he, so in Newark, right, his church is mostly black and um, he would, would often take, he would disciple young teens, black teens, and uh, he would purposely take them, right, to a church in another county who was mostly white sort of like a social experiment and you know they didn't have a lot of familiarity with like a lot of caucasian people and he told me he goes their experience was was great they said he goes those white people are really nice to us you know what i'm saying so it's kind of cool how we you know you can see garbage on television turn off the tv if you go out there people will accept you and i actually like when there's diversity because i don't want a hundred Joe DiProsimo cookies in, you know, in the church. I don't want people to look just like me or act like me. And sometimes I get annoyed with myself, you know. So it is nice to, especially when we have the barbecue and people bring in ethnic dishes and, you know, you get to see different flavor, literally, of people's culture. Um, even on our ministry application, we have a lot of questions because if you fill out a ministry application, you know, you're exposed, if you're an usher or children's or even a greeter, you're exposed to the children in our church, and we, uh, we hold our children very sacred, so you have to go through a background investigation. There's two questions that are not, we ask you everything else, that are not on that application. One is, what's your race? Two, what is your ethnicity? We don't care. 
Do you want to serve? You have a heart to serve? I don't care what you look like. Care what color you are, just if you have a heart for the Lord, we want you here and we want you serving. So, um, you know, it's kind of neat too. Well, so Pastor Ray, I just told you about the pastor. Um, I think it was during COVID and just like a lot of the BLM stuff. And Pastor Lloyd, who is my pastor and, and Ray's pastor, he actually had, because I was a former police officer, um, he had us come on this panel on the bridge radio station it was videotaped and everything that was a got a lot of hits like a lot of people tuned into it and we had a we had a really great conversation about race in america um but not the way the media does it you know we did it like saying how do we bring people together not how can we divide them and that's really the disgusting thing that we see in american culture is the division it doesn't belong you know in in revelation the apostle john um sees a vision of of heaven and he sees i saw all nations tribes kindreds tongues what john said was there's all types of people here there's black people there's white people there's asian people there's you know whatever what he was just basically saying is jesus christ casts a broad net everyone's welcome there's not anybody who's excluded from that net um and when you when you're doing it right you will have well when we die we're going to have brothers and sisters of people we never met cultures we never knew, languages we never spoke, and they're going to be in the kingdom with us. So I don't even think I was this kind of... And again, this is a spiritual diversity. This is, just comes with teaching the Word for years and having a church. You know, you even as the pastor, you've got to settle disputes and people not getting along and stuff. You know, your, your whole thing, and I speak for my pastors, is bringing people together. How do we integrate and how do we work as a unit, not as so much as individuals? So the, the, the world says... I'm an individual, I'm this, I'm that. The church says, no, we're all the same under Jesus Christ. Was that it? Yeah. You both have a chance. All right. Any um, follow-up before we pray and um, speak louder? There's a, that's a, there's a lot of information in that. Um, I would just say that you know, people come sometimes to seek and they have all kinds of lifestyles and proclivities and all that kind of stuff. And my thing is anyone is welcome to come into this church and find out what God is all about. What does his word say? Right. We're not here to promote um, our own agendas. We're here to to and this that's this type of church and there's, churches do all kinds of stuff. Some of the stuff they do is wacky. But when people come into this church, again, somebody could say, I'm this, I'm that, I lean this way, I lean... First of all, what you do with your sexuality is not my business. I don't need to know that stuff. And um, it's just, we're too open about it, I think, in our culture. And there's too much being jammed in our, in our kids' faces. And it's, it takes away their innocence. But if a person, no matter where they're from, no matter what their beliefs, if they come and they sit right there, and they are open-minded to hear about the things of God, they're welcome to come. Because I find that the Holy Spirit does a lot better job of changing that person than I could. On day one, I'm not looking to change that person. The only thing I'm looking to change about them is that they go from not knowing God to knowing God. And then let the Lord take, take, that, take the reins in that. So any questions based on some of the things, we, instead of a new topic, the topics we already covered? Anybody? All right. guess we did a good job explaining it. Yes? 
And it's one of those, it's speculative, right? Um, just like I don't know where exactly he went. The sons of the prophets didn't know where he went. They wanted to send out a search team and Elijah's just, Elijah's just like, leave it alone. And they kept pushing Elijah when you read the passage. So he goes, do it, pretty much do whatever you want. I'm paraphrasing. And they come back to Elijah and say, we, Elisha, yeah. Yeah, they're like, we can't find him. Like, I told you so, you know. I told you not to go looking for him. Like, Elisha had that spiritual understanding that God did something with him. Um, we don't really know what it is. He hasn't revealed it. Let's just, you know what? Let's just go do the work of the Lord. And that's what Elisha did. So you, you, you bring up good points about the Mount of Transfiguration. How did he get... So now we're talking about centuries later. Did he... Was he brought up to a mountaintop? Did he die there? And did he go to Abraham's bosom? And then did he come back? Because when Jesus brought Moses and Elijah there, that's an interesting thing, right? Did he pull them out of uh, the place where Abraham was to, to do this thing? And then they went back there until he died for their sins. I don't, I don't have the answers, you know, but some of these questions are purely speculative and you know, we can, we can give conjecture and, and context, but, you know, it's, it's fun to play with, right? Yeah. So Shay was asking about uh, Abraham's bosom, if, if that's a, another heaven. So I think, I think it's actually would be considered a compartment of hell. So then this is where we could get into a big whole thing about the, the misuse of that word, um, you know, but so it was a it's a holding place. So I wouldn't consider it another another part of heaven um, because we we don't hear about a fourth heaven, but we do see in Abraham's bosom um, this holding this sort of holding place. Um, so. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize it that way as a, as a fourth heaven. And correct me if I'm mistaken about that. I just want to find scripture on that, Vinny. Yeah. So Hades or Shale. Hades or Shale. That was a holding place. Um, again, there was a gulf between the people who died believing in the promises of God, like Abraham and. All the Old Testament saints, they were in Abraham's bosom. We see uh, Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus was with Abraham's side. Across the great gulf was the uh, rich man who was suffering. Abraham and his side were not suffering, but they were waiting for the promise to be fulfilled when God would come and die on the cross for their sins. And then they were rescued and brought to heaven. So there's no longer Abraham's bosom. It's just Hades, Shale, just hell now. It's a place of suffering. That is also a temporary hold. Till the judgment comes, the white throne judgment, where they'll stand before Jesus, their name will not be written in the book of life, and they with the devil and his angels will be thrown in the permanent place, which is the lake of fire. Yeah, it's like how do you classify... You know, so the first and second, and, and again, it, this is in the context, right, of Genesis. It started that, right, with the with these locations, uh, the atmosphere where the birds flew, <laughs> um, the second or oranos in the Greek, um, and there's a different word in Hebrew. You could see a parallel in both languages. Uh, so the first is where the the birds fly, the atmosphere we breathe it, 
The second is, I would say, beyond the Karman line that leads to every planet has its own sort of atmosphere. And once you leave the Karman line of Earth, there's a there's sort of no man's land if you if you can't you can't breathe you can't um and then the third heaven is yes it's a place but it's not a temporal place so the first two are temporal the third heaven is a spiritual place which could be right in front of us it's just a different dimension for all my science people um abraham's bosom is this temporary intermediate spiritual place that has it's like if it was four, it would have A and B, you know, with the two compartments, and they empty at different times, and they are both temporary. Um, you know, even when the Lord makes the new heavens and the new earth, the third heaven will still be there. You've got to admit that there's a purified first and second, uh, but Abraham's bosom, those two places are gone. So they are definitely temporary, where the others are more uh, of a permanent nature. Um, it's, and again, it's a lot of... Uh, you know, then then we could say was well, is the lake, yeah. So I, I don't I don't want to get into that, <laughs> but because we'll be here all night. But definitely the A and B one, they are diametrically opposed to each other. One's misery and one is is wonderful. The only thing that you don't have yet is is that actually close fellowship with God Almighty, um, and even in John's, uh, you know, in John's in the Revelation he he sees a lot of things. You, you can almost see this angel giving him sort of a tour. Um, is he, and even Paul said, I'm, I'm, was I in the body? Was I, was I out of the body? I saw things in the third heaven. You know, I, I can't even explain what they were. I know I, 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 it's in my head right now, but I don't know exactly, was it my matter? Was it a vision? Paul didn't even know, but he knew that it existed, right? So you could even put Paul and John. It's not like they, they died and went to heaven. They were shown things that they were to come back and tell us about it, right? So it's pretty wild, very deep. People say, oh, you know, Christianity is a fairy tale. Okay, let's, let's go over the scripture together. <laughs> let's read some of these passages. You tell me what, what, what fairy tales are simple and they're, they're trite and they're cute. This is, this is a simple thing of Trusting in Christ, doesn't matter your educational level. Then if you want to get into deeper things, you could go so deep that your head will spin, you know, so there's something for everybody. So throughout the uh, talk today and a couple of the questions, like sin is real. Uh, that's why Jesus came to this earth. There are... Christians who sin, there's non-Christians who sin, and just being a sinner and as a young Christian or a middle-aged Christian, I thought I could serve God and still sin. So I was only faking myself out. Um, when, God, when Jesus went to the cross, that was a very serious thing, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sins of the Old Testament and the sins of the New Testament are still sin. And as Pastor Joe said, to, to preach the Word and let God reach down and change a person's heart is crucial. But you and I are called to leave the sins behind and walk in a new life with Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Joe, like I was, I was at a, 
place in town yesterday, they were given blood. And I was looking at the people giving blood, and they were donating blood to the blood bank so that could be used in an accident. So some people were turned away because either they had a um, illness or their blood was had some sort of, you know, something was going on in their system so they couldn't give blood. So when Jesus died on the cross and we always uh, hear, you know, his blood was shed for us, I guess two things. Why was Jesus' blood shed? Why did blood have to be shed? And why was it so important that it was Jesus who shed his blood? Why couldn't Pastor Paul or you or me do that? So it goes back to the Old Testament. These are the laws that God has stated. Uh, Leviticus 17, Isaiah 53, um, many other scriptures that that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. That's how strong God sees sin and the separation that it causes between us and Him. Um, why Jesus was the only one who could do it was because a man or a woman, no matter how righteous they might think they are, they are not a perfect sacrifice to shed blood. Even the lambs in the temple, had to, they had to keep doing it over and over again because they couldn't uh, provide that, that substitutionary atonement. It was only a temporary basis. So when Christ came, he was fully God, took the form of a man. So he's fully God, fully man. He comes in the line of the human Adam who brought us into this mess. And also he, he had two, two uh, bloodlines, so to speak, one of, of the human nature and the other part of him was fully God. Uh, so only at, that's a perfect sacrifice uh, because it's God. So when, he, when he, they shed his blood on the cross, that was that perfect sacrifice so that if we believe in Christ, um, we, we go back to that sacrifice, we trust in that, and uh, our sins are forgiven, and we can stand before God clean. So as in closing, the woman who was going to be stoned that was caught in the act of adultery, one of the things Jesus said to her is, go and sin no more. So if there was a person here and that's watching later on on the tape, and they're in habitual sins and they don't know Jesus, what could they do if they wanted to start a new life, if they wanted to change? Well, they could say something simple. It doesn't have to be exact the way I'm saying it because it really is from the heart. They can get to a place where they're by themselves and just say to the Lord, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I know that you are the Savior of the world. I know that you died for my sins and the sins of the world. I trust in that sacrifice that you made a long time ago. I believe in it. I know that I am clean because of what you did for me. I just pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I look forward to walking with you all the days of this life and beyond. And now I have the power through the Holy Spirit that I can say no to sin. I can change my life. I can be somebody that you want me to be. But either way, when I do sin, you've got that covered. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. If you said that prayer with Pastor Joe and you're here, we want to give you a Bible and uh, some things to get you started in your walk with the Lord. And if you're watching on the Internet, just call that number on the screen and we'll get that material out to you. So thank you.
been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.